After all, the cross-generational podcast dedicated to discovering and rediscovering the social, political, and personal impact of The Mary Tyler Moore Show. I'm your host, Ariel Fisher. And I'm Sylvia McCon. Welcome to the show, guys. Another week, another episode, slowly moving our way through. And we continue season two this week with episode 12, Is a Friend in Need? Rhoda's not having much luck in finding a new job, and Mary lies to her about an opening at WJM. Uh, the episode is directed by Jay Sandrich and written by Susan Silver. So, yay, female writers. Um, <laughs> so, uh, this one is kind of interesting. It is. It has a lot of uh, meat it, to yeah. uh, chat about and to discuss mm-hmm. in this world of precarious employment and uh, sort of changing the rules of how we view our life's work. Mm-hmm. And do you earn a living in order to put a paycheck on the table or do you earn a living to uh, get the sustenance to your soul that you need <laughs> to for your creative outlets? You exactly. Know? So all of that. So it's super interesting mm-hmm. in that regard. And Rhoda works in a creative field. She is a window dresser mm-hmm. and she gets fired but she can't admit that she's been fired she lies to mary and everybody around her saying that she quit Mm -hmm. so right then and there we have you know there's something to be said about pride and hurt egos and things like that for sure then mary sees that well she notices that rhoda is is kind of wallowing she's not being very active she's spending all day watching daytime television until it's no longer daytime and um, she's, like, crashing at her place a lot. She's just kind of... Painting her nails, doing her hair. Yeah. Not, not hanging out. Hanging out. Not yeah. being very active. At least not that Mary is aware. And then Mary sees that there... Well, actually, Murray mentions a job posting at WJM for a position that is... In the art department. In the art department, right? yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of transferable skills. It's not exactly what she was doing, but it's something that she could definitely, that Rhoda could definitely do. And it's really nice to see that Murray is encouraging her, saying, well, yeah, this is trans, like, she can learn how to do this. You know, window dressing was basically the same as, like, set decorating. So she has, there's, that's transferable. Like, he's finding ways to make this work for her, which is really nice. And Mary says no. And then when Rhoda sees it, she takes it down and says that the position's already been filled and, like, hides it from her. And And then... Murray has this look of... How dare you? Oh, well, I think it's even more than how dare you. It's like, I don't know you. Yeah. You, Mary Richards, are the most honest and upright person I know in my life. And you're lying boldface to your best friend about an available job. I think I think the South Pole and North Pole have changed positions. Now. Yeah, hell has frozen over. Pretty much. 
So she feels guilty about all of this, and Lou is relishing the notion that someone even as good as Mary can actually be capable of doing something shitty. But it, it, everything kind of progresses, and eventually we wind up with her finding a job like it doesn't go in the the episode doesn't go in a direction that i thought it was going to go mm-hmm. in. i thought we were going to cut everything was going to come to a head and we were going to get this big conflict between mary and rhoda yeah ah. where mary was going to have to like force her back out and like she would have to get a job that she wasn't very interested in just to make ends meet kind of thing but then again like what show am i watching right yeah so she winds up getting a job and everything ends perfectly well and it pays it's a smaller department she's running a department like the the window department for a department store Mm -hmm. she's making more money than she was before she's given complete creative control it's a small team it's her and one other girl but she gets to run the show she gets to do what she loves in an environment that fosters creativity. Exactly. What a nice thing to do. Yeah. It's actually, I'm, I'm, I'm saying all of this and I'm suddenly like, oh my God, that's... that's that sounds th- really fun. That's that's neat. Yeah. I just got that opportunity. Yes, you <laughs> and did. It's really, really great. Yeah. But it's... So, at the heart of the episode, I think, is this kind of... At least for the beginning parts, everything that has to do with Rhoda, we get... This really wounded feeling after being fired. Absolutely. Have you ever been fired? I have not. You've never been fired? No. That's interesting. I worked in healthcare, and uh, it, it's not that people don't get fired in healthcare, but in 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 the public world, in in um, you know, in pseudo government positions, it's not that people don't get fired because nowadays they do a lot more than they used to in the past. Mm-hmm. But it's harder to fire someone than in private industry where someone can look at you and go, yeah, we don't like you anymore. You're out. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so I have not been fired, but I have I have had I've been in position. I've been in situations where the reason the, 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 the job that I was hired for changes or it no longer exists like when my lab got outsourced and so I found myself in a position of precarious employment Mm -hmm. at a particularly vulnerable time in my life so it's kind of scary stuff but I have not had that situation of you are fired Mm -hmm. so I I can't speak to that Um, I've been very fortunate in that regard yeah yeah I've been fired yes you have (laughs) Honestly, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Absolutely. I, it, gave you, it gave you a kick in the ass that you might not have taken otherwise. No. And I can't imagine how different my life would be right now. If you were working in that kind of a job? If I was still there. In that job specifically? Because I would likely still be there. Really? Probably. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I can't... I, I don't think I would have had the balls to take the leap. I also don't think I would be where I am. I think I might still be in... A relationship I didn't want to be in right. and status quo status quo all around yeah. personal and professional exactly yeah it takes a big upheaval to right. make it a change yes and a scary change yes yeah very scary change a scary change that is still scary because I will tell you this right now being full-time freelance is a little nerve-wracking there is no safety net nope none at all 
It's and you work your butt off because you know that if you don't, uh, you don't make money. money. <laughs> and because you have to make hay while the sun shines, to quote a cliche. Don't you know that one? No. So what? Make hay while make the s- hay while the sun shines. I am unfamiliar with this idiom. You're gonna you're gonna look it up. I'm sure. Make hay while the sun shines, and I think it's an old farming thing. Where I would imagine you make hay while it's sunny, and the hay is dry, so that it's there for your livestock. Mm-hmm. So take advantage of the sunny days because the cloudy days and the rainy days are going to come. Exactly. And as a freelancer, I think that's absolutely. It's true no matter what, but I think it's particularly true for people in precarious employment, whether through freelancing or through the way of the world today when a lot of people are, uh, you know, juggling two and three jobs just to make ends meet. Oh, yeah. And absolutely, like, it's, it definitely applies. That's Mm -hmm. very good saying. I've just never heard it before. I think that's hilarious. (laughs) Well, I mean... 32 years of difference. Yes. Yes. But, you know, well, you're my mom, so where do you think I was supposed to learn it from? I was supposed to teach you? You're going to guilt me that I'm supposed to teach you about hay and such? Who else is supposed to teach me the idioms? I don't know. I mean, the world and life, but still. This is true. But I'm a city girl. I don't know about hay. Who knows about hay? (laughs) (laughs) Evidently, everybody but me. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. ask around. I will ask around. Ask around. But despite all of that and the actual benefit of having been fired, I was fired in a really terrible way. And it was without notice, and it was without cause, and everything, it just, I had never been fired before, so it was completely devastating. Mm -hmm. It was, like, I, my depression got worse, I had a really hard time climbing out of that hole, Mm -hmm. I spent months Mm -hmm. just feeling wounded and not being able to shake that, and feeling, I mean, it on top of the actual like the feeling of rejection because it does feel like rejection of course it i felt like i had been done wrong by because i had been but like it felt unjust well i think you know i think it was you were already feeling a little you were not happy in the job to start with no and things were changing and and People who were ill-qualified to make some of the decisions, uh, some of the administrative decisions in that office were making those decisions and making things worse for everybody. True. And you being you, I think, weren't shying away from saying, this is crap. Yeah. And and the powers that be didn't like that too much because nope. your position did not require you to give an opinion on no, such things. It required me to be silent. Yes. Yeah. And believe I, me, there was a lot I was not silent about in that I, office. I'm sure. And that's fine. And that's who you are. Yeah. And, and that's who I am. And, but it happened. And yeah. the result was not dissimilar to the way Rhoda behaves. So I yeah. sympathize with her here. Yeah. And, you know, there's a moment where I guess it's been a week Mm-hmm. And she's still kind of loafing about, and Phyllis is like, "Well, it's already been a, it's been a week. You know, it's time to get up, pick, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, and like get out there and face the world." And it's kind of like, "Okay, well, like you have a wealthy husband who you married to avoid having to work, right? You live in the lap of privilege, yes, not necessarily the lap of luxury, but we've seen her jewelry." 
you live in the lap of privilege and potentially luxury, you don't really get to say how quickly she needs to continue. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mary, on the other hand, is way too lenient. Like, Phyllis is the hard ass, and she's trying to, like, you know, buck up, get out there, face the world, and make something. Whereas Mary is like, no, she's my friend, let her be, let her do her thing. And I think there needed to be some kind of happy medium there. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think think Phyllis is too... um, too much of a hard ass and 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 Mary is too enabling of her wallowing having said that a week is not a long time no it's not a week is a really really short time but this is a half hour sitcom so exactly you know it has to be what it has to be yeah uh so we will we'll take that as is but I think encouraging someone to make a plan to say Okay, so how about if tomorrow, when you get up in the morning, you do this, like kind of restructure them so that they're not watching the soaps and seeing that everyone in the soaps is the same as five years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then the kid She's shows. still giving birth to that kid. Five years later. Five years so, later. So, you know, I, I can see how one, how a good friend like Mary could be a little more helpful in directing her mm-hmm. and saying, how about if we do this tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Whereas Phyllis is just giving platitudes about she needs to be tougher. Yeah. Meanwhile, Which is not helpful. It's not helpful at all. No. Meanwhile, you know, she doesn't exactly heed her own advice because she, you know, sticks Mary with the, the ugly job of having to say, you know, maybe you should go out and really search for a job. Yeah. Which brings up another thing. Which is the pressure that some people may put on people in their lives, people that they love, people that they care about, to go out and find a job that may not be right for them because they need to, you know. Because they need to make money. Because they need to make money. But I think, and this, from my own lived experience, I have been in that situation many, many times Mm -hmm. where you have very delicately asked well is there anything else you can do in the meantime Mm -hmm. and where dad would get mad at me and say if you have to be a dishwasher god damn it you go out and be a dishwasher Mm -hmm. so like two different ends of the spectrum of that side of the coin and knowing the two of you and knowing how much you love me i know that that comes from a place of fear yes and yes it does yeah absolutely so and that's really absolutely it's 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 fear that you're going to find yourself unemployed, mm-hmm. unemployable, because your skills have gone in one direction and the world needs this other direction, or because your creative endeavors don't pay. Yeah. Because um, a lot of them don't. And a lot of them don't. And, and the shifting sands of today's uh, uh, employment are very scary for people of our generation to see you guys you know and by you i mean you and your cohort yeah to who especially in the creative fields uh where things are never secure no and they're not it's constantly up in the air it's um you know for (laughs) if you're just joining us for the first time I am a free, now full-time, which is really lovely, and I'm very lucky, I am a freelance writer. I write about film, 
uh, for a living, and I also do copywriting and social media management. So the copywriting and social media management, it predominantly pays the bills, mm-hmm. and the which helps uh, subsidize being able to do what I really want, which is, you know, film analysis and critical theory and things like that. Um, so not just movie reviews and no, doing this doesn't mean, you know, and yes, I work from home and no, I don't spend every day working in my pajamas, but it is hard work. And it requires requires discipline, and that is a Absolutely. harsh learning curve. Yeah, and it, it it's you know the working with movies isn't all like getting free stuff and getting to watch movies all day. That's a big, it's not so glamorous. It's not so glamorous as people think it is. But what does happen is you find yourself in these positions where maybe you're just you know, not batting a thousand one month and all of your pitches are turned down. And so you don't make a cent from your extra writing. Uh, Maybe a client's budget gets slashed and they can't afford to pay you for your copywriting work anymore. Or a project gets put on the back burner and that money that you were counting on that month isn't going to come in. Like it's, everything is tenuous. And especially with print uh, or, you know, digital print, I guess. There's no there's no security. Uh, we're starting to see some unions being formed and things like that around certain organizations where they have staff writers, and they are. It's still an uphill battle, and it's an uphill battle that absolutely needs to happen. But what we're also seeing is publications are being shut down. Yeah, and you know it. It's hard. It becomes this weird double-edged sword because you can't expect good work unpaid. Like, well, why aren't you able to do this, you know, 1,500-word piece for, you know, $20? Because and the cost the minimum of wage. Ticket. Exactly. When you consider the time it takes to put into something like that, and if you break it down into an hourly wage, you're looking at something well below the poverty line. Exactly. So it's, But it's hard because a lot of those publications don't stay afloat. Right. So it's a double-edged sword. But it's that for, and I see you wringing your hands, for the mother. For the mother, it's very it's, it's stressful mm-hmm. to see because I can, I can see the precariousness of it. Mm-hmm. And having worked my whole life in a very institutionalized and structured environment with uh, benefits, with pension plans, with full-time employment, and with all of those things that's my work experience that's my norm Mm -hmm. and so that's my comfort zone but I completely understand that that's not yours and that's not where you would want to be and it would it would crush you Mm -hmm. to work in a non-creative environment that dictates what you do and how you do it and it has and it has and I think you can now where I am now Mm -hmm. after the passage of time that we've seen Having seen me work in the hospitality industry, having seen me work in the healthcare yes. industry, having, well, having seen me work in healthcare, um, and having seen me work in the private business sector, you and now where I am. And you're a lot happier. It's like it's obvious. Uh, yes, it is. And yeah, it, makes, totally. it makes a difference. And yes. it's it's a, and it's such a luxury to be able to do what you love for a living. Yes, it is, and I think that's something that needs to be acknowledged. Mm-hmm. That 
being able to do what you love for a living is the best gig in the world. It is. And no matter get, what that is. No matter what that is. If you love washing dishes, you know. If you I, love dressing windows. If you love dressing windows. If you if you love if you love being a nurse. Like it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. It's if if you love doing it, and you can make a living out of it, and if you can make a decent living out of it, yeah. you are the luckiest person in the world. Yep. Because absolutely. That's that's the dream. That's the dream. It's, you know, we think about, well, everybody wants to be an actor and make a million dollars. No. I guarantee you, acted, like, I mean, I just acted in high school and stuff. I directed plays. I've done a ton of stuff with performing. It is no cup of tea. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of bullshit that you have to deal with well, in sure. it. And even internalized stuff. Because, I mean, you look at certain things, there's a lot that has to be done there. Like, it's not, just because you don't know what happens in it and you're looking at the career from the outside doesn't mean it's as glamorous as you're assuming it is. I don't is. think anything is as glamorous as, as we assume it is. No. There's only... You know, snippets of glamour in, let's say, in the in the film industry, mm-hmm. what we see as consumers of that looks very glamorous. Mm-hmm. But the hours of work and the negotiating and the uh, sacrifices that they make, because I'm sure they do. Oh, yes, yeah. they get very highly paid. But that's a <clears throat> very, very small percentage of all those other um, actors exactly. who Don't. are still waiting on tables. Yep. And a lot of them are. Yeah. And there's a lot of actors who, you know, character actors and voice actors who do plenty of work, but, you know, live very, very modest lives because they still get paid just enough to make it to the next month. Right. And they struggle. Yeah, they're not making the millions that that the A-listers are making. Most don't. The vast majority. Yeah. But that's, you know, we see that with something with with uh, Rhoda. And I I relate to that, especially because you've got, you know, Phyllis coming in with like, oh, what about this job? And it's I don't even remember what it was. Key punch. Key punching is the precursor of computer data entry. Oh, okay. I thought it was literal keys. No, no. I had I had a goofy. uh, Wow. Okay. Ashamed a little. No, no. You're Uh, young. I mean, I, yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I mean, it's... We'll forgive your youth. I, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, she doesn't want to settle for some bullshit dead-end job. She no. wants to find something that's going to be fulfilling. Yeah. And she goes for it. And then yeah. she finds it. Yeah. And it's a small department with one staff member, like... She, you can hear her making the concessions, but you can see how happy she is about it because she gets to do what she loves. Even if maybe she's making a bit more money than Mary, she's likely not making very much money. I don't think either of these women were making very much money at all, even for the, for the, the time. times. Oh, we yeah. don't know, like, in, in, in actual numbers. No. I, I don't know if well, that ever I mean, came up no, probably in not. previous episodes. It does. I know it will come up because I remember when we went to the event that spawned the idea to do this show shortly after Mary Tyler Moore died. One of the episodes that we saw was about Mary confronting Lou about being paid less than a man in the same position. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This? I do vaguely. remember that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what season it was from. No, I don't either. Although I, that that as a basic concept comes up at the end of this episode and it's kind of laughed sure. off. Yeah. 
with like this, wait, associate producer, <gasps> he makes way more than me. What is this? And Lou takes it and is like, well, yeah, I've always been a shitty person in response to like. So I can underpay you. So I can, so I can take this job posting away and not let you have it. Now we don't know, we don't know if that other associate producer position would pay that to, would, would it pay less to a woman than to a man if it was applying for that job? We don't know that. My guess is probably. My, my guess is probably. Yeah. Also because it's likely aimed at a man. Mary, right. Mary lucked out. Well, she kind of did, but I don't. I I seem to recall that when she first got that job, mm-hmm. she went in to apply like for for a more secretarial administrative she, position. That's exactly what she went into. She went in to apply for uh, as a secretary. As a secretary, and then when she got the uh, associate producer, she realized that it paid less than the secretarial job. Yeah, yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. Which, which is, is pathetic. <sighs> Is a whole other thing in and of itself. Thankfully, in Canada, we have some laws that protect women for this, but I don't even know. The wage gap is still an issue here. Big time. Not only is the wage gap still an issue, but the um, salaries have become very stagnant in relation to the cost of living. Yeah. So, and I, I did this at some point not that long ago where I took the salary that I started with in 1977 when I started working I know that was a long long time ago so I was a lab tech I was uber nerd in 1977 you had a pocket protector I had a pocket protector and I had pens in it and they were leaking and uh (laughs) which necessitated the pocket protector so it was all you know part of the plan it was part of the plan and I remember (laughs) thinking that I made a lot of money Mm. at the time and I made $13,000 a year. What? Yeah, full-time job. Oh, my God. I know, but my rent at the time was $250 a month. Oh, my God. I know. So I was living in the lap of luxury. It was fantastic. And, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Then my the, rent is, like... I know. Oh. But this is many, many years later. I know. But having uh, said that... I just want to leave Toronto now. <laughs> if you take... If you take that money and convert it into today's dollars, yeah. it is not. It was. It was. It was good then, but it's not so good now as a starting salary. It's okay, but the but if you take the cost of a house in 1977 and the cost of a house now, mm-hmm. in at least here in Toronto, it has gone up exponentially so much more that salaries have not kept up with cost of living. How much did you say it was for rent? 250, 250 bucks a month. 250 19 In Midtown Toronto in a lovely old building. So you said 1979? 1977. 77 to today would be the equivalent of $1,035.92. A what? No, thirteen thousand dollars. No, two hundred and fifty. Oh, okay. For the <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I didn't know if you were talking about the salary. The be, rent? No. The, so the rent would be what? A thousand? Uh, a th- just over a thousand. Wow. And you said it was thirteen thousand. Yeah. That you were making a year. Yes. So that would translate to, huh? Okay. Fifty-three thousand eight hundred and sixty-seven. So, and I don't know what a which starting... today would actually be. Okay for a starting salary for a lab technologist? Probably. Well, okay, yeah, starting salary for, uh, for a... Uh, yeah. For yeah. any... Anyway. For any job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but... Oh, it shows where my standards but are. But if you... But rent 
So if you do that translation of the rent, yeah. that apartment would probably cost at least, I don't know if double that, but one and a half times that for sure. You mean and if to, you were to rent an apartment? Like if the you were apartment to rent that apartment today, today in Toronto, would, in Toronto, it would not be a thousand dollars a month. What was the apartment? One bedroom, two bedroom, one bedroom, one bedroom apartment. How many square feet, roughly? Like as big as my current apartment or smaller? It would be smaller than your current apartment because it had one less bedroom. Okay, then yeah, you'd be looking at eighteen hundred, maybe two thousand to twenty three hundred. That's insane. Yep, that's insane. Yep. Mm, yep. So apparently, the median price for a one-bedroom apartment in Toronto right now, regardless of size, like square yeah. footage, is I want to say twenty-three to twenty-four hundred a month. Insane. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's nuts. It's 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 not attainable. It's nope. not sustainable. Mm-mm. Not for one human. Not for one human. Incidentally, if anyone lives in and around in and around Ontario, <laughs> within driving distance of Toronto, and lives in a lovely place that's not suburbia. You know, drop into our comments somewhere and give me some suggestions because I'd love to leave the city and live driving distance away from Toronto. That would be nice. <laughs> that would be good. Make life better. Yep. But yeah, eventually, you know, again, we digress. Sorry. Oh, if you've come to expect surprise. anything else, then you're listening to the wrong show. But um, no, I mean, in, in at the end, she gets the job she wants and she gets the opportunity she wants. And there's something to be said about being able to do what you love. Like, that, that's undeniable. And at the end of the day, you know, when, if, you, if you or someone you know has lost your job and you're dealing with the, let's face it, the grief of that, that's okay. Yeah. There is nothing wrong with going through that process. It's a very unsettling process for Mm -hmm. anybody, even the most qualified, level-headed person Mm -hmm. will really get knocked off their feet Mm -hmm. by being jobless. Oh, yeah. Especially when that job is just taken from you. Yeah. Yeah. When you're not ready to give it up. Nope. No. Now you're on the other side and you can be comfortable in that that was as you said the best thing that ever happened to you for me yeah for you oh, yeah for you yourself personally you and so many people at right like right after it happened told me they were like believe me this is going to be you can't see it now but it's a blessing in disguise and a bunch of people told me that they had been through similar situations particularly yeah. other people in my industry right who are now in positions of power and who may have been working in jobs that were a bad fit for them that were definitely a bad fit for yeah. them oh yeah absolutely <clears throat> and at the same time i don't know part of me kind of wants to be like shoot for the stars and if you miss you'll end up among no shoot for the moon and if you miss you'll end up among the stars some Which bullshit plan absolutely no sense because the stars are a lot further than the moon okay <laughs> so the nerd in me says that is not factually accurate <laughs> shoot for space <laughs> That's broad we, enough. We had that painted on our gymnasium when what? I was in grade eight. Seriously? Yeah, above the stage. Oh, with wow. like shoot a for the stars. Everything. Shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you'll wind up among the stars. It's like, nah, okay. But seriously, go for what you want. Like you never know what's gonna happen. That's it. Yeah. Have courage. We. Oui. I don't know why I had to say it that way. I'm sorry. That it was sounds very swashbuckling. Swashbuckling. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching too much Outlander. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've been watching Killing Eve. 
which I know nothing about. Oh, you need to watch it. Okay, I will. Now we're really digressing. Anyways, go watch Outlander. Go watch Killing Eve. Enjoy good television. Incidentally, Killing Eve, women in film and television. And Sandra Oh is incredible. And she won awards. And she won awards, breaking and setting records. and being, Amazing. Yeah, amazing. And she's Canadian. I know. And we so, love her. Yeah. Every no. time there's, like, a Canadian who does some stuff and, like, the Raptors just won and I kind of want to just be like, Canada! Canada. Uber pride. Yeah. Anyways, thank you guys for joining us on this particularly digressive episode. We appreciate your patience. We do. <laughs> and our nonsense and tomfoolery. So, next week, we will be looking at episode 13, The Square-Shaped Room. Mary arranges for Rhoda to redecorate Mr. Grant's living room. It's a fun one, guys. You're going to like it. Jay Sandrich directing, written by Susan Silver. We're going to get into it. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. In the meantime, feel free to check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, the Pocket Casts app, or Google Play Music, really wherever podcasts are found. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at After All Podcast, or you can email us if you have any thoughts about the show at afterallpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time. <laughs>